Our preaching this morning will be a verse taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Verse number 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The scripture reads, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Our title for this morning's message is, Christ was forsaken for us. Christ was forsaken for us. As believers in Jesus Christ, as we come later to approach before the Lord's table, we are to remember the death and the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to remember and to think of the cross of Christ and what it means for the believer. And it's the only reason any of us as believers in Jesus Christ can come to the table here this morning because of the cross of Christ, because of what Christ endured in our stead. He died so that we may live. He died so that we are alive today in Christ Jesus. He died so that we will enjoy eternal life with him forever and ever. But let us think about that central theme of our faith, the cross. Does it not seem strange to us? To the world it seems very strange that we would follow a man who died upon a Roman cross. He endured and suffered so much for his people. And the world looks on and sees it as strange. Why would anyone wish to follow such a man? Why would anyone see that way of the cross as the way of victory over death and over hell? And what is so strange about it? I think we've lost the sense of horror about the cross. The cross has been turned into jewelry today. It's seen as a, a, a symbol But it's lost largely the horror that it was 2,000 years ago or before when the Romans used it. It was a symbol of torment, of torture, and of warning to the enemies of Rome, anyone who would dare cross them. It was a symbol for the end, a cruel, tormented end. But for us believers in Jesus Christ, it is not that. It is a symbol of hope. It is a symbol of freedom. It is what we look to. We look to the cross of Christ. Somebody was today looking to the death penalty. Somebody was condemned to die facing death. How many would say, yes, I wish to follow in the pathway of that man. I wish to seek and go the way he has gone. Many would say no. How could I follow that way? It will lead to that way of suffering. Why would anyone wish to go there at? That cruel and humiliating death. The death of a criminal. Usually people do not follow such a one. They will think if I follow him. 
then I will die. Then if I follow him, it will be horrible. But to the believer, it is wonderful. To the believer, it is freedom. To the believer, it is penalty paid. To the believer, it is beautiful. And it's only with the eye of faith that that will happen. It's only if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. That when we look at the place of the greatest miscarriage of justice that has ever taken place upon the face of the earth. A man who is innocent, condemned to die, falsely accused. Yet we look to that event and we see redemption. We see hope. We see freedom. We too have died with him. We have died with him. We have died with him that we may live. We've been brought into union. With this Christ. Who suffered and died free. Now we are. Not just to be free from the pains of hell. Far more than that. Free to have Christ himself. As he's offered to us this morning. In the bread and the wine. As he's offered to us at the table of the Lord. He gives us his life. He nourishes us. Believers in Jesus Christ. He gave His life. So we gaze at the wondrous cross. As we look at this verse 21 this morning. May we marvel at Christ. And what he endured. And what he. And and this demonstration of his love. And so that we may this morning. As believers in Christ. Come to the table of the Lord. In a worthy manner. So number one. Our first point as we look at verse 21 is. A price for sin. Number one, a price for sin. For us to understand the cross, we must understand sin. And what is so horrible and so heinous about sin itself. It says in verse 21, the first half of this verse, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. We often downplay the horror of sin and how bad sin is. We often think of sin as a kind of an oops moment, an innocent mistake, almost as if you're painting and rather than staying within the line, you accidentally drop the paint in the wrong place. Now, sin, yes, can be done in ignorance. We don't have to know that it is sin for it to be sin. And still be sin. But sin is far more than some innocent accident. As we have been created in the image of God. And because we've been created in the image of God. And the heavens declare the glory of God. That God from creation shouts forth. That he demands of every single one of us. Perfect personal obedience. He commanded this of Adam in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. And he still commands it of all his creatures today. Now we think what happens when we fail. And we do. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of that perfect standard which God demands. Because he is holy and he is righteous and he is true. But when we do fall short, what happened to Adam when he sinned prior 
to the fall. We turn briefly to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But, verse 17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There's an emphatic warning. Once the law of God is broken, death awaits. This is what Adam is being told. He's been told, really, if he keeps the law of God, eternal life awaits. But sin comes in. Verse, verse 1 of the following chapter, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Man is tempted to doubt the promises of God. He denies the promises of God. And then he exalts himself in the place of God. Verse 5, the, the, the lie of the serpent is, For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then ye shall, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, or as God, knowing good and evil. You will Make up the rules yourself. You will decide as you wish to live. See friends. The breaking of the law of God is willful. War. Upon God. Willfully. They. Adam and Eve. Commit treason against God. The true king. The true reigning. Lord. Of heaven and earth. Willfully they listen to the enemy. This is what happens when we all sin. Today. We listen to the enemy more than we listen to the voice of God. And this is what happened to Adam and Eve. We seek in our own way to place ourselves upon the throne of God. Saying that we will be as God knowing good and evil. We will decide. This is what sin is. The law says no in a particular area. And we refuse. The sun, the moon, and the stars, they bow to God. The oceans go so far and they stop. But we mere creatures dare in the face of God to say no. That is the horror of sin. The horror of sin. The good, holy, and just law commands something wise, good, and wonderful. And fallen man dares say no. I will not. Fallen man will listen to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And willfully commit treason against the king. Now, what happens to those in history? Who dare to challenge the rule of a king. If they shake their fist in the face of the king. And challenge his rule. What would be the penalty for such a crime? For treason. For most of human history. If the king ignores it. What will happen? His glory. His honor. His reputation is at stake. He will be mocked. He will be ridiculed in the streets. And everyone will think. 
they can take his throne. There is a penalty for treason and it is death. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 Usually the worse the crime is the, the more severe the penalty. And because there's death and because of this, because how wonderful our God is. That's why sin is so heinous. It is because of the one it is against. Sin is not exceedingly horrible until you see the goodness of God. Until you see the purity of God. Until you see the wonderfulness of God. And so it was with crucifixion. The Romans would say... Criminals or those who wish to rebel against our reign and our rule. They would crucify enemies outside the walls of the city as a warning. You want to follow their ways? Here's what will happen. You will meet death. And not just any type of death. An excruciating death. Friends, does it make more and more sense why sin is so horrible and why sin demands the death penalty? In Psalm 51 verse 4 we see an example of the heinousness of sin. Psalm 51 verse 4. Psalm 51 verse 4. David. He has fallen into sin. He has sinned against many. Fallen into adultery. With all the people he has wronged, he says this in verse 4 of the psalm. Against thee, speaking to God, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. But look, against thee, thee only. We have wronged people in our lives. We all have. But our sin is primarily And foremost against God. Whatever we have done. And look at what Christ has done. In our place. For us. Verse 21 our text. For he hath made him to be. Sin. For us. See if you say. In in the culture. We're sinners. Oh yes we're sinners. Oh yeah. Aren't we all sinners. And there's such a casual. Glib attitude about being a sinner. Sin is almost something to joke about. But until we see the horror of sin. Then we see the magnitude of this verse. For he hath made him to be sin. For us. This is Christ. This is what Christ became for us. He was treated as a criminal. He was treated cruelly for us. And before we move on to our next point, have you ever been mistreated in your life? Perhaps you're coming to the Lord's table this morning and you're struggling with forgiving a brother or sister in Christ. No one has been more mistreated than Christ. And yet he freely forgave you. Will you not freely forgive those who have done you wrong? Friends, do not come with an unforgiving heart to the Lord's table. Come 
seeking also to forgive others who have done you wrong. Because that is to be Christ-like as you approach the table of the Lord. He died in your place. He was mistreated for you to forgive you. So a price for sin. Number two now we're going to look at a place for sinners. A place for sinners. Again the first half of verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. What do sinners face? What do we face in eternity? I think we have many cliches in modern Christianity. Many of them are either outright false or misleading at best. And there's one cliche or phrase that is very popular. That God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Now from a certain point of view there's a certain degree of truth to that. But it's misleading. It's misleading. Does God, does Christ have a, have a, a certain type of love for all people who are still upon the face of the earth. Who are still alive, who are breathing. Who have been clothed and fed and have rain and sunshine in this world. Yes. There's a, a love of benevolence and beneficence expressed toward them. And that love will one day be cut off if they do not turn to the Lord. But all sinners outside of Christ, do they experience a well-pleasing, delighting love in Christ? Not at all. The Bible says the wrath of God is upon them. The well-pleasing love, are, are the reformers used to call it a love of complacency. A love of complacency. That word complacency can often cause some misunderstandings. But the idea of it is this. When God delights in something or someone, it is a sweet smelling aroma. It is something that is pleasing before the Lord. When God the Father said of God the Son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The only people who experience or have this well pleasing love from God. Are those in Christ Jesus. Anybody else faces not the well pleasing love of God. But the wrath of God. The hatred of God. The just holy hatred of God. If we look at Colossians 3 verse 6. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And this is why we witness to people. This is why we share the gospel to people. This is why we must believe. The danger is if you just say God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Well if that is the case, well, why should any of us worry about the wrath to come? It says also this in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. 
Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The wrath of God. And it's very important that we understand that when we think about the cross of Christ. The wrath of God. The displeasure, the holy heat and intensity and rage of God. That's what God, that's what God the, the Son faced upon the cross. See, the hatred and the wrath of God is not just against the sin. It's against the sinner who committed such a thing. And the sinner, this side of eternity, will face tastes of the wrath of God in this world. A hardened heart. Another, that wide road that leadeth unto destruction, there's tastes of hell in this world, but they'll have the fullness of the hell to come. Far worse than anything we face in this world. If they do not repent before it is too late. Do you see that the idea that God just loves everybody in the same way, in an undiscriminated way, is very misleading? There is a penalty for sin, and there is a penalty for sinners. So as we think about this, what did Christ cry on the cross? Psalm 22, verse 1, Jesus quoted from. In Psalm 22 and verse 1, he cried out this in agony. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roarings, see what it means. See what he endured. The, the, the father and the son had the perfect loving relationship from all eternity. And for the first time, the father pours out the, his wrath upon the son. Why did the son endure such things? For us. To save us from the wrath to come. To save us from the just holy wrath Of almighty God. From the penalty of our sin. And where we all deserve to go. And that's an eternity in hell. In Isaiah 53 verse 10 it says. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Literally to crush him. We we can never imagine what Christ has endured for us. How that Christ was forsaken for us. How that he experienced and dealt with. That intense hatred and heat of his father. Because he was treated as a criminal for us. He bore our hell. He took our punishment. He took those torments of the cross. He took all that. Why? For us. Can you think of any of your friends... Any of your hobbies. Any of the things you spend so much time doing. Would any of them do those things for you? Christ died. For the believer. For you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ. He died for you. 
And there's either two possibilities. Either Christ has died in your place, taken your hell, or you will go there and pay that debt for all eternity. But the debt is so much. It is of infinite value. It can never, ever be repaid because it's against God. This is why hell is forever and ever an eternal hell. A place of no rest. A place of the intense wrath of God. Our third point this morning is a purity and perfection for sinners. A purity and perfection for sinners. So we've looked at a price for sin, a place for sinners. And finally, uh, next number three, a purity and perfection for sinners. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in him. How can God? So we've, we've looked at the believer in Jesus Christ is coming this morning before the Lord's table. By faith and by faith alone. Has that well-pleasing love of complacency in Christ Jesus. But why and how is that possible? How can God look upon us who have broken the law of God in a favorable way? That he can look upon us and say... Here, I am well pleased. In this person, I am well pleased. And it can't be because of us. It can't be because of us. We are criminals and breakers of the law. Because Christ was made sin. He paid that penalty. He took the curse of the law of God. He took away that curse. Galatians 3, verse 13. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the, the curse of the law because being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the, the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ hath redeemed us. From the curse of the law. He became that curse and he took it away. And he suffered in our place. Now the reformers would call this this obedience of Christ. At the cross. His sufferings. His passive obedience. And that is his suffering obedience. It's not to be understood in terms of active and passive. But. In terms of passive is suffering obedience. He obeyed the death penalty. He endured that. He took that penalty away. And how could one take away the sins of so many? How could one man pay for all our sins? Of countless multitudes. Out of every nation. Out of every tongue. A generation. From the time of righteous Abel all the way to the end of the world. Because he is also the son of God. And because of his value as the son of God. He pays for the crimes of his people. Christ is true God. Worth far, far more than we will ever imagine. 
He obeyed the law in our place. You see friends. It's not just that he took the penalty for sin. That law which stands against us. That law that accuses us. He obeyed it. There's not one moment of his life. Where he didn't love the Lord his God. With all his heart, mind, soul and strength. There's not a moment of his life. When he did not love his neighbor as himself. The two great commandments. And they can also be summarized in the Ten Commandments. Jesus Christ perfectly kept the law in a way that we could never. He obeyed it. It's not just that our sin record, you could say, has been set back to zero. The just shall live by faith. Where does that righteous justness come from? Jesus Christ. His perfect law keeping. His perfect life also saves the believer. We need his righteousness. In ourselves we are just like Adam and Eve. After the fall we are naked. We seek in our own efforts to cover ourselves with our feeble efforts. But it's only the righteousness of Christ that will truly clothe us before the Father. Adam was asked not to eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He was asked to keep the law of God perfectly, but he failed. In Adam all die. He represented us in the garden. In Adam all die. But, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Christ, in Christ all should be made alive. The second Adam succeeded where the first Adam failed. That law was fulfilled. That law was kept perfectly by the second Adam, that is Jesus Christ. So we have a purity and a perfection to clothe us as sinners. So that God the Father may look upon us in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And have that well-pleasing love for us. And so he invites all true believers in Jesus Christ to come to the table this morning. To eat and drink and to be blessed. To meet with Christ. To find sustenance. To find your hunger and thirst satisfied in him. In a special, special way. To find strength to continue on in that difficult journey toward our heavenly Jerusalem. A difficult journey in the midst of a war that has taken place for 6,000 years. Going all the way back to the fall of Adam. How can we be reconciled with God? We need that purity and that perfection which Christ alone provides. His holiness is what we need. His righteousness is what we need. And friend, if you're here this morning and you say, I know nothing of this Christ... I've never trusted in him. Come. Trust in him today. Without Christ. It is not the bread and the wine that you need. You need Christ. You need to be clothed by him. And if you've been clothed by him. Come and be fed. By him. Come and be blessed. By him. None of us in ourselves are good enough. But in Christ. Clothed in Christ. We come in a worthy manner. To the Lord's table this morning. And finally number four in our text. A paradise and a privilege for sinners. A paradise and privilege 
for sinners. So we've looked at a price for sin, a place for sinners that is hell, a purity and a perfection for sinners that is the righteousness of Christ, his perfect law keeping and how he is taking away the penalty for sin. And finally, number four, a paradise and a privilege for sinners. Christ was forsaken, treated as a criminal, so that forever you would not be. Those in hell are treated as criminals for all eternity for crimes they have done against God. The blessing of today as we come before the Lord's table is we have a taste of heaven to come. And we have a taste, another taste of what is found in this verse here when it says that we might be made the righteousness of God. And a phrase we may miss, in him. In Christ. In Christ are all the blessings and all the privileges of being A believer in Jesus Christ. And before you this morning dear friends. Believers in Jesus Christ. He set before you tokens of his love. Tokens of his affection toward you as a believer. Tokens of his his desire and will to strengthen you. That you would know that you will reach your final destination. A place of paradise. A place of privilege. Even as a sinner, we have this wonderful, wonderful privilege in him. In him. See, the the blessings of knowing Christ and being in Christ are far greater than just avoiding hell. They're far greater than, see, sometimes people get saved and they almost act as if, well, I'm not going to hell, that's wonderful, but I'm going to enjoy all the things of this world. This world is not our home. We have a heavenly home. We have a new heavens and a new earth to look forward to. Where righteousness will dwell perfectly. Because of Christ. In him we have all these blessings and these privileges. See this is why he can delight in us. Because we're in Christ in him. And what does the father do to the one he delights in. I think we'll look at one verse just to wrap our minds around this, even though we will struggle with this as mere creatures. There is an episode in Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. I'm going to look at briefly Esther chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. In this, The king asks, how should he delight in the one he delights to honor? In the book of Esther, there is a conversation between the wicked Haman, who wishes to destroy God's people, and with King Ahasuerus of Persia. And this is what is said here in verses 6 to 11. So Haman came, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom will the king delight? To honor more than to himself. And Haman answered the king. For the man whom the king delighteth to honor. That the royal apparel be brought. Which the king useth to wear. And the horse that the king rideth upon. And the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let 
this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of the one, the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all with the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the streets of the city, and proclaim before him that this shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Skipping ahead to verse 11, then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the streets of the city and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Friends, do not seek the honor and the glory of this world. Seek the honor and the glory which is offered in him. The privilege and the paradise that is offered in Christ. And we struggle, don't we? To wrap our minds around. For the eye hath not seen nor the ear heard. That which the Lord has prepared for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written. Eye hath not seen nor ear heard. Neither have entered into the heart of man. The things which God hath prepared. For them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I hath not seen, nor the ear heard. The blessings of heaven are far greater than we can ever imagine. And it's all in him who died, who was forsaken for us. And he purchased these for us, his people, who come before the Lord's table this morning. See, Christ is at the table this morning for the believer. And that is why it's such a serious thing to come before the Lord's table. We must be in him. We must have this privilege in him. We must have these these things purchased by Christ in him. In order to come in a worthy manner. And this is why it's such a serious thing to come in an unworthy manner. If you come without Christ. If you come presumptuously. If you come trusting in your own works. You will meet. With judgment. And eating and drinking damnation to your own soul. But to the believer. He invites you. To taste and see that the Lord is good. Who trusts in him is blessed. Psalm 34 verse 8. To be satisfied in your hunger. To be satisfied in your thirst. To have these things quenched. And we will. Have. Greater tastes of heaven. And greater anticipation of heaven. This is all so that we will look forward to being in heaven with him. To know the fullness of these things that will come in the future. Was Christ forsaken for you? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned your back on the world? You will have to. There will be times when you will have to turn your back on things in this world to follow Christ. If this world is your home. If this world is all you live for. Christ was not forsaken for you. But if you have turned your back on sin. The world, the flesh and the devil. And you embrace him as your own. He was forsaken for you. He died in your place so that you would not taste Eternal death. For he hath made him to be sin. For us. Believers in Jesus Christ. 
innocently. He was innocent. Who knew no sin. That we might be made. The righteousness of God. How? In him. You must know him. You must trust him. Oh may his name. Be honored and glorified. This morning. Amen.